Hey guys, welcome back to the Starting to Scale podcast. Um, this week we have another fantastic guest on the show. Uh, really, really excited to, to kind of delve into his history, his background, and what he does for, for entrepreneurs in, in Amsterdam and the Netherlands. Some really good insight here. I think it'll be valuable for anyone who wants to start a business, who, who has started a business and wants to learn more. Um, so welcome to the show, Kays. Thank you. Thank you for this too kind introduction. It's going to be a really, really positive episode, I think, Kays. And, and obviously, I'm excited to, to find out a little bit about you. We've had a chat off, off air um, and kind of gone through your background. But just for everyone out there now who, who's kind of listening in, can we just uh, take it back? Because it's a, it's a funny one for you. You kind of knew from a very, very early age what you wanted to do and where you wanted to go. Yeah. Yeah. When I was younger, my, my granddad has his own company. Um, and I always respected that a lot. So mm-hmm. I always, when they ask you in primary school, what do you want to be? Most people want to be a policeman or a fireman or something like that. And I always said, I wanted to be a director because I didn't know the word entrepreneur. Um, because I looked up to my granddad a lot. Yeah. Because uh, I remember going to his house on uh, on Friday mornings and then uh, walking to the factory together. And he's saying hello to everyone and all the stories he had about how he built his business. So yeah. that was really interesting. So I always had tons of respect. So yeah, I think that urge started really early, early on in life. Yeah. And at what point, obviously, you went to university and kind of graduated from there. At what point did you really go, right, now I'm going to push towards being, you know, an entrepreneur or, or, or that kind of environment? I think um, I did my, I did two internships um, right after university. The first one was at eBuddy, which was an online instant message aggregator where I was a business analyst. And that was my first taste of the startup culture and startup world, which was really interesting. And afterwards, I joined Abinamro Bank in their incubator, um, where I helped build several uh, projects slash startups uh, from an internal perspective of a big company. So that was my first taste of uh, taste of entrepreneurship. Yeah, and you mentioned that incubator. What what kind of just explain that term for people who maybe aren't familiar with the startup ecosystem and such. So an incubator is an environment where, at least at ABNMRO, um, they uh, had a group of people trying to build new businesses where ABNMRO was the full or or a partial shareholder in. This was a company incubator where everybody just was paid by ABNMRO. So everybody was on the payroll of ABNMRO and nobody had, almost nobody had equity in the startups they were building. So the risk profile was completely different. The choices you make because you have a different risk profile are in my opinion different because the outcome outcome and the payments are not completely aligned. When you are a startup founder, so your goal is to build that startup because you want to increase the value of the startup as much as possible because your main compensation is in equity and here people had just really well-paid jobs and we're building uh, we're trying to build companies on the side yeah does that you mentioned there about decision making do you reckon that plays a big factor in in the decisions you make when it's not your risk to take in in when you make decisions i think it has a really big impact yeah because for most startup founder it's 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 all or nothing. So the culture I saw sometimes at the bank, not for all my colleagues, but some of the colleagues, it was 95 and they left and they went home to the kids, to the wife, had a good weekend. Most artists, I know it's all or nothing, man. 
yeah. basically they work their asses off because they know if they feel it's going to feel bad, it's going to feel bad. And if a venture fails at the, at a corporate venture builder, yeah. at least there, you still got your job, you still get your money paycheck. So there's not that much risk. So your life doesn't change. But when you're a startup fund for most people, you end with, you end up with almost nothing. Your reputation is gone. Your money is gone. So you have to start over from scratch. So the urge to win and the urge to make it a success is so much bigger, in my opinion. Yeah, and it's a tough one because in many ways, you know, when you're not making a decision which is um, kind of, like you said, all or nothing, you know, it, it must kind of make help you in, in many ways, kind of take a step back and, and, you know, you're not that passionate to do it. But at the same time, do you think it it's a negative thing as well, because, you know, if you, if it's all or nothing, you're going to put everything into that, that decision, into, into making that product work. It, how I, is there pros and cons to both? Yeah, definitely, man. Uh, I think you're spot on that you say sometimes anxiety can kick in. So if it's all or nothing and you can't feel, it's mm. pretty hard to sometimes make the decision and, 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 and to keep it rational. Yeah. And you also have this reality distortion field. They sometimes talk about with founders. They, and at one hand, it's good because they see reality different than it is currently and they want to shape that reality. But also sometimes they can just not look at objectively anymore because they so need to win. So they don't see reality and they see stuff. They look at data different and they become just over optimistic about what yeah. they see. How would you help someone? How would you help a founder? What would you say to them in that situation? Is it important they kind of reach out to, to other people, to a support group to, to help them? I think being a founder can be really lonely. Yeah. So because you make all the tough decisions. So I think a good support group, or a good support network is important. Yeah. And also, I think the hardship and emotions that come and the stress that come, I think it's really important to do the work uh, on that and to and to know where it comes from and how to deal with it when it hits you. So I think what I've seen in the startup world is that we over glorify success and we only talk about success. So when you talk to most startup founders, most of the time they always say, I'm doing fine, it's going great, I'm going to the next round, the product is kicking ass. But yeah, if you just look at the numbers, not everybody can be rocking it because I think the number is seven out of 10 startups fail. So yeah. there must also be a lot of startups that are not succeeding. Yeah. But you don't hear that stories because it's really hard to be vulnerable and to open up. So I think to have a support group, advisors, mentors, where you can also talk about the emotional side yeah. and how to deal with that and how to deal with that stress. Because I can imagine when you have 20 people working for you and, they're all resp- they're, and you're responsible for the monthly paychecks and their families and maybe the mortgages, yeah. the stress can be Im- immense. Yeah, and um, with that, something we're going to go into in just to kind of rewind a little bit and take you back to, to what you're up to now. So how did your career develop? Obviously, you're doing some really good stuff at the moment, um, helping people. One in particular project you've got is Growth Tribe with David, someone else we're going to have on the show. Um, so just talk me through kind of what you've been up to the, the last few years as such and, and, and what you're up to at the moment, mate. So I've, after AB Nemo, I joined Startup Bootcamp. Yeah, and I worked for them as a lean evangelist. So I developed a lean startup uh, program where we where we coached all the startups on experimentation and business model development and growth strategy. Mm-hmm. Then I left. I started working with a lot of corporates. So I helped a lot of 
corporates set up corporate startups um, and then from coaching teams it went to coaching uh, a portfolio of teams and then more to strategy and then to building complete innovation governance frameworks so that's basically my career it went from team yeah. coaching to portfolio to uh, helping whole organizations uh, implement innovation over yeah. time <laughs> it's an interesting one that because i'm guessing a lot of the same qualities in coaching a team and coaching a whole in organization are very similar. What do you reckon the biggest difference is? Though? What do you think the, the biggest change in coaching a team and, and coaching a whole organization? I think the amount of complexity you have to deal with. So organizations are complex organisms where there's a lot of uh, interactions and power balances you need to keep uh, track of. And the bigger the organization the more interactions there are and and that makes it sometimes difficult to move towards towards a more self-learning or innovating organization if you look from a traditional more traditional point of view most organizations are designed to basically don't evolve because if you look for example at compliance or legal uh, or branding we sometimes call them the antidotes of the organization because they're there to protect the organ the, the base core organization of, of, of stopping or, or, or being killed off. So it's basically to protect the core business. But what you try to do with innovation is you try to change the core business or build an adjacent business. So a lot of the organization is not used to dealing with change because it's designed to not deal with change and keep change outside of the door. So that sometimes is, is one of the hard things of, of doing uh, innovation change work in big corporations to how to deal with those uh, objections and how to get the, also those people on board to slowly change the organization. That That's really, really interesting because when I speak to people and it was a question I was actually going to pop to you next, you know, about, about the challenges in starting a business and, and what people go through. It's very rare that when I've sat down with people, I've heard about their company actually fighting each other. Um, <laughs> and that's a really, really interesting insight, which I'm sure a lot of people don't even consider you know, when they're starting a business that, you know, you've got this core, which is going in this direction, but the innovation really needs to come in as well. And it, it's kind of fighting that and, and negotiating around that and, and learning how to, how to develop the business and um, without losing what, what's keeping it alive at the end yeah. of the day as well. So that's really, really interesting. And, and yeah, I mean, in terms of other challenges as well, what else do you, do you see, at, you know, as a coach, what do you kind of come across in, in starting a business? The main challenges are, and how do you help people with that? I think two of the biggest challenges in big corporates is one, how to put the customer central again. So how to really start having good customer conversations, start learning from your customers again and be vulnerable mm-hmm. and really listen and not just push ideas forward that you think are good. So how to really develop products together with customers and having that good customer interaction. Okay. And the other one is building a building an experimentation culture because we're so used to celebrating success. So in the most big corporates I work in, the only way to advance your career is to only always be successful. You go from successful project to successful project, and it's pretty hard to accept that failure exists, and then also to celebrate failure because most people don't understand. In order to make progress, you need to you need to learn, and in order to need to learn, also something sometimes stuff doesn't work. Yeah. So I think we have to reframe what failure looks like. 
Yeah, they're, they're so intertwined. You need to be able to fail to to understand where to improve and what to do right. If you were a startup and you were going from success to success, how would you look at them? How would you advise them and say something? You need to fail. You need to like how, how do you get that into someone's head who's successful, successful, successful? How do you get get to that point? How do you tell people that? You me one startup that has success after success after success without <laughs> falling in between. So I don't think I, I think you're pitching a situation that doesn't exist, to be honest. Yeah. And if it exists, you're not you looking objectively enough at the data. Okay. And I think we also have to uh, rephrase what failure looks like. So for me, a failure is only some is only a situation where we don't learn. So even if we build something, it doesn't work. As long as we learn from it, for me, it's a successful experiment. So success for me is as long as we keep on learning, if we keep on improving, I think then we're making progress. So, yeah, I like that. And it could be if you're you're successful all the time, then my first question would be, are you challenging yourself hard enough? Are you pushing again hard enough against the boundaries? Or are we only testing things that we should already know? Because if your gut feeling is always right, are we only testing stuff that's already known? Yeah. And are we taking enough risk in trying to evolve this business? Because the hard thing is when you're building a startup is the only thing, the only competitive advantage is the speed of learning. Because you have less resources than a corporate, you have less contacts, you have less, most likely less customers. So the only competitive advantage you have is the speed of learning. The faster you learn, the faster you will grow. Yeah, I love that. that that's that's so true, I think, from, from anyone I've spoken to. It's important to, to fail and learn. I think that's the key here. You know, you need to you need to learn from from your mistakes and, and make things better and improve and innovate, as you said earlier. But how do you look objectively? Is that why if you're a single co- if you're a single founder, is that why it's so important from a very early stage to, to get people involved in in kind of advising and helping? Yeah, I see my role most of the time as a mirror. So I'm just mirroring and asking questions to help people look from different perspectives to what they're doing yeah because when you're a single co-founder the problem is everyone has biases and also we already talked about the reality distortion field i think most entrepreneurs if they knew what they would be up against they wouldn't start the journey so i think (laughs) as an entrepreneur in order to succeed you have to be a little bit crazy you have to be over optimistic um but you also need to have somebody around that that helps you to be a little bit realistic and helps you to reflect when necessary. Um, and yeah, that can be built in different ways. So sometimes you do it as a coach. Um, so you hire someone to have a weekly conversation with, it could also be a peer group. So I've been part of a brain trust, which was a, uh, a bi-weekly meeting with three entrepreneurial friends where we talked about our businesses uh, for 50 minutes, 50 minutes per person. And we started asking each other's questions and helping each other basically think through different difficult challenges we had. Yeah, or you could have your co-founders um, in your company or advisors. There's so many options, but yeah. I think building in reflection because I, one of the biggest mistakes I see is that most people are working in their company, so they're running and running and running, but they're not working at the company. They don't take enough time to reflect, to zoom out, to really think through, to strategize, to see what's happening around them, what's the impact of the data. 
So most entrepreneurs are so busy running, running, running that there's no time for reflection. But I think that's where the real magic happens. So the moment you zoom out, you reflect and really start to think that's where you really learn and you really see what's the impact of of the information you gathered and and how it uh, impacts the different decisions you need to make. Yeah. You know, just on just on the brain trust, actually, just kind of flipping back to that, just for people out there thinking that's a really good idea. I'd love to, to do something like that. Does it have to be a company which in the same field as you or can it literally just be another leader? I think there's pluses for both. If it's the same industry, they could might it might be easier to dive into specific challenges to that specific industry. Yeah. But if it's other industries or other different type of business models, people could give different perspectives. Yeah, yeah. So I would say see it as an experiment. If you want to do this, try to gather some people, um, say we're going to do this five times. After five times, we're going to evaluate, see if this has value, see if you, if you have to change the format yeah. and see how we can even create more value. That, that's how I normally go through life. I see most things I do as an experiment. I try to set up front, okay, what do I want to get out of it? How, how do I know if this is going to be successful? How will I measure if it will be successful? And then I run the experiment and look at the data afterwards. And I think that's how you should approach this as well. So the first question is, what's the problem you're solving for yourself? Then there could be different solutions where our brain trust is one. Then you pick which experiment you want to run, a brain trust, an advisor, a coach, and then you evaluate after a certain period if that uh, experiment was actually successful and created value for you. Yeah. And you mentioned there, you, you know, you were kind of describing smart goals and, and really kind of making sure that you have very specific and clear and measurable goals. Is it also important that everything you do as a leader, as an entrepreneur, you should make everything about measurable, specific goals, what you can kind of work out how you're going to get to a certain point and what you've achieved by doing that? Could be. It, I think it depends on your... Five years ago, I would have said yes, because okay. I really believe in a structured way of learning and that building a startup could also almost be like an engineering problem you can solve, which yeah. running experiments and learning. Yeah. But I've also seen that there's also people that have really have just really good gut feeling and they just follow the gut feeling and they work more with soft data instead of really hard data. And they're also super successful. So I think there's not one way. I really believe in a scientific way of building startups. So I'm really a scientific oriented person that likes to measure things and to make the decisions based on data. And I believe, I personally believe that leads to the best decisions, Yeah. but that doesn't hold, have to hold true for everyone. And sometimes you also have to remember that it sometimes can take a lot of time to do it really structured and, and collect a lot and collect enough data. Yeah, to really make good decisions. And sometimes you don't have that time or sometimes it's just too expensive to collect all the data. So you have to take decisions with uh, incomplete data, uh, partly based on gut feeling. And I, that, I think that's also what entrepreneurship is. It's part science, part art. I think if my assumption would be if it would take two startup founders, we give them the same ID, we don't let them talk for a year and we put them and we, they have the same access to the same capital, the same resources, the, the same customers after a year it will be two completely different startups because there's so much micro decisions that need to be made that need to be made that um, influence the direction of the startup and that's basically all based on past experience of the founder and devices he has in 
reading the data, looking at the data. So I think there's not one good way of building a startup. I believe data-driven decision-making and informed decision-making is super important. That would be my advice, but yeah, I think there's a balance to, to strike there. Yeah, it's weird, it's weird that, and I think you're completely right in the fact that, you know, if you put two people with the same project, it, it turned out completely differently. Um, and I think that that's really interesting how a startup isn't just a business. It isn't just a, like you say, kind of data and, and, and structure. It, there's so much more to it. And, and just the personality and the past experiences of each founder can, can change things and, and change the direction, which I think is really, really interesting. One thing you, you have said quite a few times and, and we've touched on is, is to be vulnerable. What do you mean by being vulnerable um, as, a, as a startup founder? I think, yeah, in order to, to be able to learn, you, you have to go behind your ego. Yeah. So a lot of startup founders I know are really strong personalities. They have really strong visions. They have a really strong drive. And they know this is what I want to do. And this is how I think success looks like. But in the way, you will hit roadblocks. You will, hit, you, will, uh, you will basically not be right all the time. And I think you need vulnerability to be able to deal with that and to really learn from it and to really reflect and also look at yourself. So what do I need to learn from this? Also, the different phases of a company, a, a three-person startup company is completely different than a 200-person uh, company where you're still the CEO. So the, the challenges you have to go through and the challenges you have to face as a, as a startup founder are just immense. And I think if you don't are not vulnerable or if you're not able to reflect on your own behavior and see... Where do I need to learn? What are patterns that are that are not good behavior and that are not enabling the people around me to do their best work? Because I'm basically prohibiting them to do their best work because I'm uh, I, I feel certain anxiety or I feel a certain pain uh, and I react from the anxiety of that pain instead of instead of a, out of a good place. I think that's where uh, some work can and needs to be done so you- to be a better leader. Yeah, yeah. And you talk about that, you just mentioned, you know, being a better leader. Um, is there an importance, of, you know, in workshops? What kind of importance do they have in, in, in your learning as a leader? Is it important to attend them and, and kind of participate them and continue to develop your skills as a leader? Yeah, definitely. I definitely, I, I, I just believe that life is one, one long learning journey. My mantra is, what do I need to learn today to be more successful tomorrow? And what's the best way to learn it? And that's also when I talk to people or coach people, that's the first question to, uh, that I ask them. Yeah, and I think there's so many great techniques. For example, uh, one of the techniques that have, ha- has helped me the most is, 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 uh, is the breathing techniques from Wim Hof. So I've, doing, I've, I've been working with a breath coach. This okay. has helped me to basically release tension, uh, reach deeper levels in myself and 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 deal with with pain from the past, which helped has helped me a lot to show up differently in meetings, to be less triggered, and basically become a better person. I like that. So it's not necessarily you know you go to a workshop to sit there with a pen and paper uh, and you know write down a load of things. It can be about different things, whether it be breathing and dealing with past pain, which we've already said influences decisions today. Um, or whether it's, it is, you know, kind of doing a workshop on, on leadership maybe or, or, or some training on that. You know, it can be so, much, so many different things. People just need to be open to the, to the idea of and the value of, of attending these workshops. How, how do people get involved in that? If, is there any tips you'd give for, for people looking to kind of 
learn new things or, or develop themselves as a leader? It all starts with what do you want to work on and what do you want to learn? One thing I really believe in is 360 feedback. So asking the people around you, how they see you, how they think you react, um, what they think you need to learn. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, we see ourselves differently than other people see ourselves. And sometimes we have a lot of blind spots. So that's one of the things where I should start. And then really reflect on those conversations and really see what do you want to do with it and which parts of yourself do you want to develop. And then just look around, have talks with people, uh, Google what kind of workshops or what kind of uh, coaches could help you in that journey. Yeah, you mentioned coaches there. But there are various ways, and, and something we've touched on before is kind of coaching versus consulting versus training. Would you mind just kind of going into a little bit of detail about them and, and the differences between going through some coaching and getting a coaching like yourself or, or going to training? What, what's kind of the differences between the, the three? Yeah, for me, so I always say I have three roles. The first one is coach. And coach, a coach for me is a person that really helps you to get better and really walks beside you and, and really helps you um, by asking questions, by not giving direction, but just asking questions and helping you to reflect yeah. and helping you to uh, enable to find the answers that are already locked in, in inside of yourself. So it's basically just a, a tool uh, or a mirror to get deeper insight into yourself. A consultant is somebody that helps you to solve problems. He brings knowledge, he brings certain experience and you together work towards and solving a problem and if you talk in the startup world most people talk about lean startup coaches but most of them are actually lean startup consultants so that's one of the most important things i've learned last year i, I did a coaching course and i thought i i knew how to be a coach but i didn't i basically have been a consultant all my life i love telling people what to do i love <laughs> to solve problems i love to give advice and when i started to do the coaching course i said yeah stop it stop it you're not here to give advice they already know the answer your goal is to guide them towards the answer and ask questions you don't need to know this is your own patterns your own triggers that you're trying to solve by 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 being the smartest in the room so why do you need to be the smartest in the room that's the question my trainer asked so and that's the training part so a trainer for me is somebody that helps people to learn new skills by really giving a dedicated training program and when i work with teams those are the three different roles uh i normally take so i'm i I think i'm most at 80 percent or 70 percent a consultant 10 percent coach 20 percent trainer most of the time uh, I, I would like to move more to uh, to coaching because I think it's super interesting to work uh, with the shadow sides and the deeper and really help people become better versions of themselves. But yeah, yeah it's an in, it has been an interesting journey. That that's so interesting because literally when <laughs> when we first mentioned them and three things, I was like, they're the same thing, right? I didn't know the difference, and I bet people listening, I did not know the difference between all that, you know. And, and I think it's so important to to kind of take a step back and understand, you know, how you're helping people as well. And even yourself, you know, it's, you've kind of gone for a coaching course and kind of said, you know, you mentioned one of the things you said earlier, what do I need to improve? And, and that's kind of making yourself vulnerable again, because people can come back to you and go, well, you need to improve your coaching because you're not coaching, you're training, you're consulting. Yeah, I think that's that's really, really cool that that even yourself as a coach you know, went to a coaching course to, to, to be a better coach. So it just shows that no matter your level, your seniority or how experienced you are, you can always improve, right? And I think that yeah. that's an important thing as, a, as an entrepreneur. So 
we talked about failure, um, but what does startup success actually look like? You know, what is startup success? Because it doesn't have to mean you're a, you've gone from a one-person founded company to, to a 200-person corporate company. Or does it differentiate between different companies or different people? I think this is a really hard question Very. to answer because I think it differs from person to person. My definition of success would be creating sustainable, long-lasting value. One of the things I would like to argue that most big startups we know, for example, Uber, which isn't, which for me, Uber isn't, isn't a success yet because basically they don't have a proven business model. If they don't have a profitable business model, they have a proven business model, they don't have a profitable business model. So Uber was still losing a lot of money per ride. So on unit economic level, they weren't profitable. So they have a huge scaling business, but it's all fueled by investor money. So the business model was to basically build a higher to build a high valuation and do an IPO. So the early investors and the early employees could basically cash in on that success. But is that success? Because, and then we had, and then we're not even talking about the effects they have on, 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 on society, like um, how they deal with labor, uh, with labor issues, because everybody is a freelancer. Nobody's having insurances, et cetera. So I think everybody has to find their own definition of success. But for me, it would be a sustainable, profitable, growing business. Yeah, I think that I think that's really interesting how, you know, it, it, it was a great example. You know, many people would say, wow, they've done so well. What a success story that is. But it's how you look at it, like you just said, you know, it, they're kind of growing to, to, to IPO. Um, whereas, you know, you could have a, a small six, seven person company turning over, profit profit every year very sustainable um and and, you know not growing to the size of uber or 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 the depth of that the main question is what kind of entrepreneur do you want to be and what does your road to success need to look like so you have people that want to swing for the fences so with uber it's all or nothing so if they weren't able to close the next round it basically the company's going to fail you see that we work so we work was funding 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 and then basically it stopped because it was hyper overvalued and then basically it all inflates. So is that the play you want to do? It's a completely different startup. So if you, most people think, okay, I need to raise money. But what most people don't understand, when you start raising money, you adopt you adopt the business model of the investor. Most investors want you to swing to defense because the business model of the investor to, is uh, to invest into 10 companies and one of them has to be highly successful and they don't care. It's not completely, it's not that simplistic, but they don't care if some of them fail. Because yeah. that's part of their business model. So you're being pushed to have that enormous growth. So the question is, are you the right entrepreneur for it? Is your business model ready for it? Is your company ready for it? Is your organization ready for it? And can you deal with that constant focus and constant growth? Or do you want to build it more in a sustainable pace? And are you fine with having a decent, what people call a lifestyle business, where you basically can live really well with your business, but it's not growing that hard and you're not going to be that next unicorn that's going to be have the big IPO. I think that's a really important conversation to have. And I think if you look to the media, uh, we over-glorify the big IPO stories. And we there's not enough stories about the small companies that are bootstrapped and are, that are successful and that basically are, are the engine behind most of the, the engine behind the economy. Mm. Um, which are also really nice businesses to build and to have. I think that's really in- interesting. And, you know, 
it, I think going relating that to Amsterdam, obviously Uber Uber based there, and among many many other startups. How, how important is the startup ecosystem? Firstly, what is the startup ecosystem? What is that? And, and if you don't mind, kind of touching on that a little bit more. For me, it's again learning. So in order to build businesses, you need knowledge, you need people, and you need capital. And if you have a good ecosystem, they're all there. So you have investors that are willing to take risks and investors willing to take uh, to help founders based on their knowledge and, and their money. You have founders that are eager to build new stuff. Most of the time, you also want to uh, have an ecosystem in a, in a, in a market that, that, that's ripe for, uh, of, of, that has a good infrastructure to launch new products mm. where where there's a lot of consumers that are open to new products. So for example, the Netherlands is a good market because apparently where technology adoption is really high, people are highly educated. So it's a good market to launch new products in and test new products in. And then the last one is you need good people. And I think, yeah, I think you can tell more about it because you work in HR. I don't, but it's all about the people. In order to build companies, you need people to work with. And the more good people, good people attract more good people because people want to live here. And I think yeah. the benefit we have in Amsterdam, that's just a great city to live in. It's a small city. We have a lot of cultural institutions. We have a good, a lot of good restaurants. You can do everything by bike. So the pace of living and the quality of living in the Netherlands is really good. I think that's one of the main reasons Uber is here, Booking is here, and then other startups are here because a lot of people just like to live here. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think, you know, you mentioned obviously culture there. It's a word what's kind of thrown around now, but it's so important in, in, in these companies now in, in growing. Um, and yeah, you know, Amsterdam, I think one big thing as well, we had the guys on from Startup Amsterdam um, and they were talking about how, how they kind of help people and the government actually really supports startups um, and companies in, in hiring and, and helping them actually bring people in from maybe abroad um you know relocate people they actually incentivize that um and also train people you know to, to really grow the business and create a really positive culture so i think that's really important i think you know it, it, it's it's true what you say there that it does play a part but it's kind of like how how you want to grow the business just just going back to the the investment side of things as well from what you were saying it's it's so true that you know, if you get investment, there is a direction placed upon you um, from that investor. You know, you have to do things maybe in a certain way. You have to grow at a certain rate for them to, to reinvest maybe further down the line. If you're a startup founder and you've got a really good idea and you do want to grow the business, but you haven't got the capital to do that, but then um, you, you're worried that investment will change the direction of the business, is there a way around that? Is there anything you can do to, to actually find people who let you run the business how you want to, for example? You need resources to build. So the question is, how do you pay those resources? So yeah. money is one, but you can also pay, might be able to pay with equity. So yeah. maybe you can find people to take risk and that want to go on this journey to take risk with you together. Or maybe you can bootstrap it by doing consulting work or doing a side job that you where you funnel the money into the startup. I don't know if that's the best way to go, but mm -hmm. there's a lot of options other than raising funding. I think most of the time you just have to get creative. Yeah. And then the speed of building a startup will be a little bit slower. But there's also the question, what kind of investors do you get on board? Not all investors want you to build, build a, a next unicorn. 
Yeah. So it really depends on, and also how much money do you need? Because some startups just need to keep on raising money and other startups just raise once and then they have enough money to basically build a sustainable business. So it's also depending on what trajectory you see to pro- towards profitability. It, 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 just speaking to you, you can tell how important it is to have someone like you kind of coaching or supporting um, because you're asking these questions. Questions what you probably know you need to answer, but you don't know the answer to them. And just by asking them questions, by you saying things like, you know, how do you want to grow? What kind of investment do you want? But, you know, it, it kind of opens your mind to, okay, these are the answers I need to get in order to, to really grow this business or in order to make it a sustainable business or in order to get investment. Um, it's so important to, to have questions like that, isn't it? And, and that's where I think someone like yourself comes in. And, and help so how would people just on that mate how would people get in touch with someone like you or you in particular should i say how, how would people get in touch with you to to kind of help is do you look at certain businesses or are you happy to help anyone i i like to work on stuff that's exciting to me yeah uh, but people can always reach me and and hire me to work with them i think the biggest challenge is in the beginning most startups don't want to spend money on a coach to be honest. So most rather hire an extra developer or an extra marketeer yeah. and spend money on a coach because they think it's more important to build product than actually to really start and learn how to learn. So most of my work I've been doing is actually with accelerators and incubators. So programs that support entrepreneurs in those programs and those programs pay for my uh, for my involvement instead of that I work directly with startups. Yeah. And what's the future then for you? Are you going to keep doing what you're doing? In, in the, you mentioned there you want to be more of a, a coach. What, what's the future got for you, mate? What have you got planned? Uh, yesterday, yesterday, I signed up to uh, for a course to go and become a breathwork coach. So nice. to as a breathwork coach because that's something that has brought me so much that I want to be able uh, to help others with that as well. So that's something I want to do. And in the long run, I think I want to move more from consultant to coach. So I think in a year or in a year or two, I would like to work with senior executives or startup founders, also more on their personal journey to to really help them and enable them to become better leaders and the the best version of themselves to really also reflect on why do I behave in a certain way and where does it come from and how can I behave better and how can I become the best leader I am? Yeah, basically ask those those type of questions and maybe organize retreats or um, do longer uh, longer stints of coaching where I see people on a bi-weekly basis. I don't know. This is still, I'm still shaping it in my head, but that's the direction I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of going. Yeah, that's really cool. The retreat stuff, I think it's so important to take a step back as a, as a leader. Yeah, I think the most important thing I've learned is that by learning to know myself, I've become so much stronger and I've become such a better tool also to others. So that's also the journey I, I would like to help other people with. Yeah, I think it's just amazing. The, the, the deeper you go, the more you learn, the more whole you become. Yeah, I, I, and I think you've kind of answered my, my final question there, but I wanted to ask you kind of what was uh, the best piece of advice you've ever received? For me today, it would be to go inside and also look at your shadow sides. So look at the sides you don't want to know of yourself and put them into the light. There's this really great podcast from, it's called uh, Reboot. It's from an XVC that went to Tibet and then now is a founder coach. And he says, welcome to the human race. We all think we're perfect, but 
every human isn't perfect. And he says, as long as you start to see also where you're imperfect and uh, going to terms with that, also that part of yourself, you become more human. Yeah. And I think that's that's so powerful. Yeah, very, very, very powerful, mate. Listen, f- thank you so much, mate, for for coming on the podcast. I was really excited and, and I hope everyone listening knows why I was excited about today because there's so much information there. I mean, you might have to listen to this twice um, to, to kind of to, to absorb all that. But uh, I think a lot of it is about kind of learning and developing uh, as a person um, and not just as a leader as well. Um, and obviously, you know, finding the importance in, in certain things, workshops, training, consulting, you know, failing um, was one thing we, we touched on and being vulnerable. Um, but yeah, thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed coming on the on the showcase. Thank you very much. I did. Thank you. Good, good. No, and, and everyone listening, um, please do check out uh, Casey's LinkedIn, my LinkedIn. Um, we're always going to be sharing stuff and, and information. Um, and obviously we'll, we'll post some snippets out as well um, across LinkedIn with, with more information and all the links will be on there as well. Um, so thanks guys for, for listening to Starting to Scale again. Cheers.